we're dealing with a series today called Expectance. And we're using it as an opportunity. We began last week to just recalibrate ourselves as a church community and as Christians, just to begin to expect and to think more of what God will do through your life and mine and our church community and through his church in this city and across the world. And I just got thinking about that. You know, uh, there's a verse in the Bible that says, One day the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as surely as the waters cover the sea. It's just a magnificent verse, which, which basically says this, This is surely going to happen. Just like when you go to the beach and you have a paddle in the water and you think, Oh, I've got wet socks. Just as surely as the sea is wet. One day... The whole world is going to be filled with a knowledge of God. And people will know him. And it won't just be a couple of hundred people in a room in a church on a Sunday morning saying, oh yeah, we know that God's real. The whole earth will live in the reality of this knowledge. Now, that begs the question for me as a Christian. I think, well, how? How is that going to happen? And the verses we're going to look at today, the miracle of Jesus we're going to look at, it shows us something of the how. And it's about multiplication. And I got thinking about it yesterday. We had a church wedding yesterday between John and Emma, two dearly loved members of Kings. And as I saw John worshipping up the front of the wedding yesterday, his hand was up in the air. I just thought to myself, wow, this is great. Because two years ago, he didn't know Jesus. And the story goes that Emma, who he ended up marrying, she invited him to an Alpha course. And he said, yeah, I'd love to come to Alpha. And he came on the Alpha course and he got to hear about Jesus. And he said, yeah, I want to become a Christian. It just happened shortly after the Alpha course. And he became a Christian. He got baptized here a little while ago. And his life's changed. His eternal destiny's changed. They're married. And then somebody else told me another bit of news. They said, well, did you hear the latest episode in John's life? I was like, no, I didn't hear that. They said, well... Do you, know, do you know this guy, Ross, who's been coming along to Kings for the last year or so? I said, yeah, I've, I've met him. He said, well, John went up to him and said, well, you've been coming to Kings a while. How about I do some Bible studies with you to help you become a Christian? Because, you know, that's, I, somebody did this with me and, I, and I, I became a Christian. And so John led Ross through our Path of Discipleship course and, and Ross became a Christian. Ross is getting baptized next week. And isn't that amazing? Emma invites John... John does some studies with Ross. This is how the kingdom of God works. One tells another, tells another, tells another, and it's the kingdom of God. How is the whole earth going to be filled with the glory of God? It's through people with expectant hearts reaching out to him and letting him multiply the work of God in their life. And that's you, and that's me. You might be brand new to Christianity. You might be brand new to this church. You might be brand new to Edinburgh. God has a plan. God has a purpose for you. So um, what, we're, what I'm going to try and do today is um, we're going to read from uh, John chapter 6. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn to that. And I want to apply it in terms of us as a church for a little bit, for a few minutes. I've got some important news I want to share with you. But then I just want to apply that for us personally in terms of our own expectations, in terms of what God is doing in your life and mine. So uh, let's read from John chapter 6. It's the feeding of the 5,000. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee 
That's the Sea of Tiberias, if you're unsure which sea that was. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only, going to, he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they, had all had all had, when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. It's a story about multiplication. We're going to unpack this story in just a few moments. But this is how it is with the the history of the church, that God has taken something very small and made it very big. You know, he did it on the day of Pentecost. He multiplied 120 people to uh, to 3,000 in one sermon. And then he did it again a few days later to 5,000. And the church kept growing and kept growing. And then churches started starting in other places. And then right across the world today, every nation of the world, there'd be people who call themselves Christians, people who meet in communities called churches. What happened? Well, it multiplied. And this story teaches us some lessons about multiplication. But here's the first thing we see. It's it's that multiplication is all about Jesus, and it's all coming out of him. Now, as a church family, we've been going for about 16 years. Just to share a little bit of the story of Kings for you. We started with a dozen people in somebody's lounge, in somebody's house. And the adults met in one room. And the children met in the kitchen next door. There was no risk assessments back then. Nobody said, why are the children in the room with all the sharp knives? (laughs) Nobody asked that question, but God was with us and nobody died. In fact, God started adding people to us. People said, hey, I want to be part of this random group of people, included me. And uh, Matthew and Anne led that group in in those, uh, in fact, until very recently, Matthew led this church community. Matthew founded that. And... God began to add to us. We outgrew the home. We couldn't meet it anymore. So we rented a tennis center just along the road, Craig Lockhart Tennis Center, and we started meeting in there. And God kept adding more people to us. We outgrew it. And then we moved to uh, Napier University. If you're from Napier University, you might know Merkiston Campus, the sixth-story tower block. We met on the sixth floor at the very top. It was inaccessible except by lift. We thought, surely this will stop people joining our church. But God kept adding people. And people started getting saved and students started to come along. And then we outgrew that venue and God we, it showed us a new place. We moved to Tollcross to St. Thomas of Aquin's High School and we met there for many years. And 
around about uh, six years ago, uh, somebody brought a prophetic word to us. We're one of those churches where we expect God to speak. And somebody with a known prophetic gift come to, came to us and they said, I feel God's going to give you a building. And we were like, unlikely. And because uh, we're, 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 we're faith heroes in this church, you know, we, 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 we were like, well, that would have to be a miracle because, you know, this is Edinburgh, do you know how much things cost here? We really had no concept of buying a building because we, we had about 120 people at the time, many of them were students, we, we didn't have that kind of resource base. But anyway, we, we, we do what you do when you get a prophetic word, so we've got to do something with it, so we just typed into Google, church buildings for sale. And this building popped up. And we're like, oh, that's interesting. Anyway, at that time, we knew of two other churches that were looking for buildings. We thought, well, that'd be really bad for a relationship if we kind of went and bought a building that somebody else was really hoping for when we were saying we didn't really have a need for one at the time. Checked with both those churches, and they said, actually, no, God's not put that in our heart to buy that building. So long story cut short, we ended up buying this building for £400,000, which is the same price as a three-bedroom flat next door. God provided for us. God multiplied what we were doing. He multiplied our resources. And then when we moved in here, he began to multiply us again. He began to give us ministries into our local community. We didn't have a sort of a building to call home before then. But then our toddler group moved in and they started reaching out to some of the mums in our community. And I've been doing that for years, doing a brilliant job serving mums at a really needy stage of life. Then other things have emerged. We, we, we host the Bethany Homeless Shelter here many times a year in our side hall. Then other things. We, we, we had a, a, a youth um, outreach that began, Hub 104, reaching out to high school students in the local high school, inviting them in a place to find friendship on a Friday afternoon, play some games, chat about Jesus sometimes. And we have around... 30 kids every week come along to that every Friday during term time. God began to multiply our ability to have ministry outside of these walls. Uh, Then Maria, one of our members here, said, I'd love to start something with our elderly community. And so once a month we have the Evergreen Cafe and, and, we, and at the very heart of that is that Edinburgh is a lonely place and, and being elderly in Edinburgh can be a really tough thing. You can feel isolated and alone. And once a month we invite people into community together to have fun, to have games, to drink tea. and to, It's absolutely brilliant. God has been multiplying. And just last week we were talking about how about a year ago... God called, he said, well, we felt God saying to us, it's time to multiply your church. So we started a new church in West Lothian and about 30 really committed King's people moved house and moved over to Livingston and started a brand new church there, King's Church West Lothian, which have just celebrated their one year anniversary. And that's going really well. And they're seeing people added and brought into that community in a town that really doesn't have much in the way of churches, Uh, certainly not the same number as Edinburgh. And around about that time, we felt God stirring us as well, saying, well, don't just send people out there, multiply what you're doing here as well. So we started an evening service as well as a morning service here, and God began to add people. Sandy and Hannah initiated that first year of those meetings, and people started coming morning and evening. God has been multiplying, which is quite exciting. So just want to share a bit of really important news with you today. And that is this, that uh, we're a church led by an eldership team, and uh, there's been three of us for this last season. In fact, Daniel Duggan uh, is right here visiting today. Who um, Daniel 
Uh, Daniel served as an elder here for a, a number of years, and uh, he felt God calling him to church plant in Canada, and we blessed him and sent him and his family on their way three years ago. But uh, we've had an eldership of three for the last three years. Behind the scenes, we've been working and thinking quite a while now of how can we multiply our eldership team and bring more people into this because we, we feel one of the great barriers to growth in the Christian world is just lack of leaders. So therefore, we want to keep bringing people into this. So we've been thinking, we've been praying, we've been chatting to people, we've been uh, asking God who the Holy Spirit is putting his hand on, and we're in a really great place today where we just want to share with you some names of some guys that we really feel that God is going to be adding into our eldership team, and to ask for your feedback, to ask for your encouragements, to ask for uh, any, anything you know about them that might make them not any dirt no no um no obviously biblically eldership is a character thing it's about having a part for the people of god and it's about having the character to go with that and therefore we we rightly want to present that to you as a church community and say look we'd love to get your feedback on these guys with that regard so uh, let's put up the photo these are the three guys that we would love to come into eldership, um, and that's uh, Andy Wall, Chris Rawson, and Sandy Deans, and uh, the reason a number of you clapped there was because you love these guys, and you've seen them, and you know them. Perhaps you don't know them, perhaps you don't know all of them. Just want to say, just we really feel confident in these guys but we'd love to hear your feedback. And all being well, we'd hope to lay hands on them on the first Saturday in November when Dave Holden is up visiting with us. But uh, if you'd uh, like to give some feedback, there's an email address on the next page, which we'll put up on the end, neweldersforkings at gmail.com. Okay, that was the limit of my uh, emailing setup skills right there. That email address will go to Matthew, me, and Luke, and uh, you can share any thoughts, any encouragements, any, anything you like with us, or you can do that in person as well, of course. So we're really thrilled about that. Here's something I'm really excited about. For the last three years, this church in Edinburgh in Scotland has had three English elders. And it's bugged me for years. We now have three new potential Scottish elders joining our team, which is absolutely brilliant. The other thing I'm really excited about is this, that Matthew, me, Luke, we're all full-time working for King's Church. Uh, Chris works for us four days a week doing uh, operational management of King's, but Andy and Sandy, they both have real jobs. I mean, we all have real jobs, but you know what I mean? One of the things we love and believe about church leadership is this, that it shouldn't be this, uh, this clergy-laity divide. There should be this overlap of real people who you can respect and think, gosh, they've got a job like I have, and they've managed to juggle life and church and all these things like I do. So I'm really pleased that we're getting some of that balance back into our eldership. And that means some of us will be busier with church stuff than others. We're not all going to be doing the same things. Um, and... Uh, those of us who are full-time will be more busy doing the, the, the doing of church life, whereas uh, others will be more involved in meetings and behind the scenes. Um, we're going to do a whole 
We're going to do a two-part sermon series in October on the role of elders as shepherds of God's people. Really want to, we'll talk much more about eldership and what it is and what it isn't, just because we feel it's an important time to just really reset that and just make sure we're all on the same page as to what that means and what that doesn't. Um, what it doesn't mean is this. It certainly doesn't mean that we don't have leaders in other spheres of church life. We have men, women, all sorts of people serving all sorts of brilliant and senior areas of kings. And somebody said to me, he said, well, why are we doing six? Why have we got six elders? That seems like an awful lot of elders. And my answer to that is because we have a really big need in Scotland for churches, for healthy churches to grow, for churches to be planted, for this church alone to grow. We're going to need more and more people in this role. So this, these won't be the last elders will appoint. I think there'll be many more in years to come. But these are the ones we feel God is putting his hand on right now. So I hope that gives you something to think about, to be praying about, really value your prayers and thoughts, encouragements, help in this process. Do go and chat to the guys. If you don't know them, get to know them. And uh, do pray for us as we go into this next stage together. So um, it's okay. Shared that with you, so... There we go. Right, let's get back to the Bible. So, the story of the feeding of the 5,000. You know, it's one of the most important miracles that happens in the Gospels. It's recorded by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Not many miracles are in all four accounts, but all of them thought this is so important that we need to get it. I'm kind of calling this, there is more. Because at the heart of what we're talking about today isn't just more elders, but it's about more of the kingdom of God, more of him in our lives, more of him in our church, more of him in our city, and how does he do that? So I'm going to look at six lessons that we can learn from this story. Here's something that we can say that, there was a place and a time where bread miraculously multiplied. And if you weren't in that place at that time, you were unaware of that miracle. Now, this miracle was a sign towards Jesus, who was the bread of life, and how he, he, he would be giving himself for all people when he died on the cross. But I want us to look at this kind of microclimate that was around in that miracle, in that moment. And there's six things that... I think we can learn to help us be multiplying Christians. Do you want to be a multiplying Christian? Do you want to be somebody who's effective in the grace that God has given you? Well, here's some things to learn. Here's lesson number one. It's this, that Jesus was there. Jesus is here. It says in verse 14, after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. You might think that's a bit of a funny observation to have made after somebody's just made a load of bread. To think, oh, the prophet's here with a capital P. But here's the history of that. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, Moses, who was known as the prophet of the Old Testament, he was the one who brought the law. In fact, John chapter 1 says the law came through Moses. He was the prophet. He was the one who brought the word of God to the people. And Moses himself promised the people of Israel, he said, there will be another prophet. Now Moses was associated with that miraculous provision of bread in the wilderness for the Israelites. 
where every day they'd go and gather the manna from the desert floor and they'd have enough to eat and it would last 24 hours and no more. So when Jesus comes into the world and he does a bread miracle, suddenly everybody is getting very excited because they're saying, whoa, it's the bread guy. It's the second Moses. It's the new prophet. Now, that's an interesting thing because they were right. Jesus was the fulfillment of what Moses said, but they didn't see it as big as they needed to, and we might not either. Because it says about this parable, uh, about this miracle, rather, that it says after Jesus walked on water and the disciples were kind of deeply afraid and they wondered who this guy was, it says because they had not understood about the loaves. They hadn't understood that Jesus wasn't simply a prophet just doing a bit of a bread miracle. They hadn't understood who he was. And if we're going to be multiplying people, we need to understand this, that Jesus is not just the prophet. He doesn't just say things. He's not just the worker of miracles who can do things. But Jesus holds these three offices, prophet, priest, and king. In fact, he's God become flesh. And what this parable, uh, sorry, this, what this miracle teaches us is that the God of the Bible isn't somebody who's happy to just sit on the throne of the universe and wonder who's singing loud songs to him every Sunday. But he's the God who comes down to earth and shares his goodness and his love and his provision with as many people as he can find. And that's what happens in the feeding of the 5,000. And if we're going to be multiplying people, therefore we need to be people who keep Jesus at front and center. And one of the things we see straight away about this story is this, that these leaders, these apostles, the ones who were there, we don't even get to know their names in this story. What's their job? They're waiters. This is what Christian leadership looks like. I know we've talked about New Elders. It's waiting on Jesus. And it's helping people find food from Jesus. It's helping people connect with him. At the end of the story, everyone's like, whoa, the prophet, it's Jesus, it's amazing. Nobody said, wow, did you see the way Peter served that fish? <laughs> whoa, that bread. I mean, Andrew just has a way with the, you know, the whole table manner. It's just beautiful. No, nobody, nobody cared about those guys. If you have a heart to multiply, and if you have a heart to serve other people in leadership, get this into your understanding that it will never be about you. It will never be about me. History won't remember the names of all the great saints who have done incredible things, but they'll remember Jesus. And they'll remember the miracles that he does through his people. So make it about him. That's the first lesson. Multiplying Christians are ones who recognize Jesus is at the center. Expectant people don't care if they get the credit. They point to Jesus. Here's the second lesson that we learn. That multiplication happens when we embrace inconvenience. Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. Do you know why they went up on a mountainside? It tells you in the other Gospels. 
Basically, Jesus had just got the news that moment that his cousin John the Baptist had been beheaded. And it was because of him. It's because of his relationship to Jesus. Jesus is a, a human being. He's processing. Meanwhile, the disciples come back. They've had bu- busy ministry experience. They've been casting out demons and, and healing the sick. And they come to Jesus and say, gosh, Jesus, we're so tired. Can we hang out? And he's like, well, yeah. So Jesus says, time out. We are going to have a mini break. So he says, let's get in the boat. They get in the boat. They wave goodbye to the crowds. Can you see how enthusiastically the, the disciples are waving at the crowds? Bye, bye, bye. Not coming back anytime soon, but bye. Anyway, they get to the other side and they climb a mountain. And they haven't even typed their, their wireless password in to get the Netflix going. And then these heads start popping up over the hillside. Thousands of people start coming. It was an inconvenient moment. It was inconvenient for Jesus. He was grieving. It was inconvenient for the disciples because they were resting. They loved their leisure time. Don't we all? I know people say millennials love their leisure time and all of that, but the disciples love time off. But there's nothing wrong with time off, but let's get a biblical view of it. You see, Jesus was taking them for time off. That, you know, he wasn't trying to trick them. In fact, this same Jesus, through who all creation was made, he ordained creation so that it would have a one in seven rest day as part of it. God wants you to be a rested Christian. In fact, to become a Christian is to come into the rest of God, to not strive, but actually to be accepted by him based on what he's done for you. But here's the reality. If we're going to be growth people, if we're going to be multiplying people, there'll be times when multiplication comes when we least want it or expect it and when we feel tired. And that will be your experience and it's mine. And we have to be responsive to God. We have to ask ourselves this question. Here's here's the hope, because we think, does that mean I'm just going to be tired? Do you think any of these disciples resented it after the miracle had happened? No, of course they didn't. They all wrote it in their Gospels. They're like, no, this was the highlight. This was great. Wouldn't have had a day watching Netflix for anything else, you know, because this was so good to be here. Who would have missed the feeding of the 5,000? They were energized by it. When we find ourselves in the will of God, we find ourselves energized by it. If we embrace inconvenience. Here's the third lesson about multiplication. Multiplication happens when needs emerge, when needs become clearer. They begin to engage with it. Jesus begins to engage them with the need. They begin to see, actually, there are problems here that need to be fixed. William Booth, who founded the Salvation Army, before he founded it, he was a failed Methodist preacher. He used to go out on the streets of London and he'd preach his heart out, but nobody would listen. It says that he wasn't a brilliant preacher. And sometimes people would throw stuff at him, but he'd be faithful. He'd say, well, God wants me to share the gospel, so he'd do it day after day, and he'd go home discouraged every day because nobody would respond. And then one day he was walking home, and he, he was walking through the east end of London, and he saw kids drunk in doorways because their parents weren't caring for them. He saw dads who were being violent with their wives. He saw poverty in a way he had not seen it before across that whole part of London. And he began to process. He thought, something has to be done. And he got home that evening, and he went into his young wife, Catherine, And he says, darling, I think I've found our destiny. 
And they went from that place to founding the Salvation Army, basically, which is a church for the poor, right across the UK and the world. And they brought in everybody who the churches of that day wouldn't have through their doors. Because he began to uh, engage with the need around him. Here's the fourth thing. Multiplication happens when minds are engaged and challenges acted on. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test them, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Don't you love what Jesus does here? Jesus knows what the solution is. Love Jesus, that he doesn't just press ahead and do what he's going to do, but he gets them into the solution. So he starts asking questions. If we're going to be multiplying people, we need to start asking questions of the problems that face us and surround us. I love, one of the things I love about our small groups is this, that we have an opportunity to do that every week. We ask questions of one another. We say, how could our lives be different? How could this city be different? How could more people know Jesus? How could more people find out what it really is to be a Christian? How could I be part of the solution to that? And I love in this story that the people who start speaking, they don't really know what the answer is, but they're having a go. And so Philip says, well, six months' wages might do it, but they don't have six months' wages. And then Jesus challenges them again. He says, well, you give them something to eat. See, when we have a conversation with one another, we begin to articulate what the solution is. And the solution is usually out of our grasp, but it takes us towards God. Here's the fifth lesson. Multiplication happens through structured planning and problem solving. Jesus made the people sit down. The other Gospels tell us that they were sitting on the grass. It's always nice to have somewhere for your bahuki to sit down, isn't it? And Jesus thinks about those things. The disciples think about it. They organize people into groups of 50. They think, how are you going to serve 5,000 people? Well, you do it in groups, and you have 12 waiters moving between the groups. If we're going to be a multiplying people, it's not just pie in the sky. Let's just ask God to sort it out. He does it through this wonderful structure he's called his church. And churches have structure within them. In our church, it's small groups. It's a thing that we use to, to, to see people cared for and people brought in. Expectant people think through and solve the issues around God doing the miraculous. They don't just wait for God to do the miraculous. Here's the final lesson we see. It's this, that multiplication happens when we give our all. It's only John who has this bit of detail. That where did these five loaves and two fish come from? They came from a boy's lunchbox. I don't know about you. I've got a young. I've got four kids. My youngest boy is seven, and he loves his lunch. He does. In fact, I remember when he first started school when he was five years old. And uh, my job is to do the packed lunches in our household. And, and anyway, Ben forgot his packed lunch on one of his first days at school. 
And um, I mean, he, he forgot. Technically, it was my job to put it in his bag. But <laughs> anyway, so we, did, we didn't. We didn't get a phone call from the school, you know, which usually, often you do. So anyway, Ben gets home that evening, and he, and he, he, says, uh, he says, Oh, Dad, he said, you forgot my lunch today. And I was like, oh, no, five-year-old boy, no lunch. Like, my heart was going out to him. And he said, he said oh, it's okay, he said, because I found an old sandwich in the bottom of my bag. <laughs> no idea how long that one had been there. But anyway, he, he problem-solved. He found his, his sandwich. But anyway, Luke, can you just pass me this packet, Chris? My, my, um, my son, Ben, he, he loves his food, right? And perhaps it's being a fourth child. He's always suspicious of when people ask him for stuff. Because he's used to being ripped off. He's used to getting the smaller share of the cake. He's, you know, he, so he's always watchful. And here's the thing. If I, if I give Ben a packet of crisps, and I say to him, Ben, can I have one of your crisps? Do you know what he'll do? He'll reach in. He'll find the smallest crisp that he can. <laughs> he'll break it in half. <laughs> and he'll say, there you go. <laughs> and I'm like, can I have another one? He says, no. <laughs> See, don't we all have this within us? When the stuff that is ours is ours. And this boy who shared his lunch that day he must have gone through all of those emotions that we all have. But if he's going to give up his five small little bits of bread and two fish, it means he's going to go hungry. Yet something about that boy's faith said this, it's going to be okay if I do it with Jesus. And you know what? It paid off for him. Because he got the all-that-you-can-eat banquet. He got it back and more. He got all the fish and all the bread that a boy could eat, which, to be honest, probably isn't much more than two fish and five loaves of bread. But see, when we give to Jesus, we can never outgive him. If we're going to be multiplying people, we need to start getting more generous with our stuff, more generous with our time, more generous with our money and our resources. I know so many of you who are just so generous in so many ways already. I came across this uh, quote from a, a guy who um, invented earth-moving machinery in California back in the 1920s, made a, made a small fortune because he realized to move earth, you needed big equipment to do it. Anyway, he was a Christian, and he, he decided he was going to give 90% of his profits from his business, and he was going to invest them in the kingdom of God, and he gave them to churches and charities and all sorts of things. And he still remained just a very blessed guy throughout his life. He felt that. And he, he, made, he said this comment. He said, he said, this is how I feel it is in my life. He said, I shovel the money to God, but he shovels it back to me. It's just he's got a bigger shovel than me. See, we can never outgive God. We can never outgenerous him. He's always giving us more back in return than we could ever give to him. In fact, the disciples who were hungry at the start of this, they end up with 12 basketfuls of food just for them. Multiplication happens when we give our all. It might help you to look at it from the bread's perspective. Here you are, one moment you've just been cooked and you're in a boy's lunchbox. But then you're in the hands of Jesus. And something is happening to you. 
you're being multiplied. You're being increased much more than you ever could have been in your own strength. The Bible says about you, if you're a Christian, that in you lives Jesus, the hope of glory. And he's doing a miraculous work in life. You know, your resources are not defined by who you are or your upbringing or your background. It's defined by who Jesus says you are. And when you're in Jesus' hands, he can do anything with you for his glory. We want to be a church. We, We talk about these three things. We want to be a church for all people, for all Edinburgh, where all of us are all in for our hearts and lives. We want to be a church that reaches out to all kinds of people. No matter who they are, their background, their nationality, different faces, different races, Jesus makes us one in his kingdom. Different ages, different stages, carrying different employments. Some of us unemployed, some of us full-time mums like Sarah. But God bringing us together in this incredible family called the church. He wants us to be a church that reaches out to the whole of this city. Sometimes I've got this map on the wall of our office. I don't know if you could put the map up, Janet. You can't really see it very clearly, but it has on it all the catchments of the secondary schools in Edinburgh. There's 19 of them. And I pray over this map that God would give us small groups in every one of these catchments. If you grow up in Edinburgh, these are the kind of zones that you think about. If you grow up in a certain area, go to a certain school, you think, oh, this is, this is the kind of area that I live in in Edinburgh. Many of us here are, are not from Edinburgh, so we kind of move here and we live around this central area or one part where we live. But I'd love us to start thinking more about Jesus. Would you multiply us? Would you multiply our church into all these territories of this city so that many, many more people could come to know you? It would be so great if we could multiply our small groups. We were just chatting about this the other night, and we, some of us and we were saying, well, wouldn't it be great if we could multiply our 16 current small groups? And if we could get another one out of each of those, that would be amazing. That would be a great start. But then we hit this resource challenge. Our current leaders say to us, the trouble is we don't have anybody else who wants to lead in our group or anybody who has the capacity at the moment. Everyone's so busy. Here's the world we live in. It's busy. Here's the world that all of our small group leaders live in. It's busy. Yet, do you know what? There's a truth in the old saying, isn't there? If you want something done, ask a busy person. And I want to encourage you, if you're going to be a multiplying Christian, to be somebody who manages the busyness of life, yet also grabs hold of responsibility and says, you know what, I'd love God to use me to lead, to help us multiply small groups or to help lead or to help assist lead or to host in a home. Wouldn't that be wonderful to see? There's there's something we're going to be talking a lot more about in times to come. And here's the third application point. It's a church where all of us are all in with our hearts and lives. That's not all of us here today because we love having a fringe of people who are just looking in all of the time and figuring out whether Jesus is for them or whether this church is for them. But this is the trajectory. We want people to go all out for Jesus. In fact, something that we'd love to invite you to is a conference we're running on, uh, could we put that that one, yeah, Uh, a conference called The Making of a Leader, Saturday the 3rd of November, because we believe that God has called us all to be influencers. He's called all of us to, to be people who 
use our gifts for his glory to help and serve other people in our communities, in our workplaces, in our homes. Therefore, we just wanted to put on a short conference. We've got Dave Holden up for that day, who leads our network of churches. We've got Peter Anderson coming from Destiny Church. We've got Gia Roschino, who co-founded an anti-people trafficking charity and uh, our very own Matthew Clifton Brown, uh, who planted this church, they're going to be talking about different aspects of leadership, the legacy of leadership, the challenges of leadership, the pitfalls of leadership, the preparation of leadership, because we want to help you grow and multiply into the gifts that God has for you. So, um, so I want to invite you to that and use that as a way of just growing into and being challenged in your serving gifts. So we're going to be a church for all, church for all Edinburgh, church where all of us are all in. And we are over time. So I'm going to pray, and then we are going to finish. Just take a moment to give yourself to him. You're the bread in his hands. Do you know, those hands are so gentle. They're so powerful. They're so loving. Just believe God wants to say he's got you in his hands today. And he's about a great work and he's wanting to multiply his grace in your life for others. So just give yourself to him. Lord, I thank you that you are the bread of life and whoever comes to you never goes hungry. And Lord, we say we feed on you, we delight ourselves in you. Thank you that you're more than enough for all the great needs of this city. You're more than enough for all the the needs of our church in terms of the mission you've called us to. You're more than enough for all the individual needs we face day to day. Thank you that you're our bread of life. So I pray, Lord, that you'd multiply our resources for your glory. We give all that we have to you. In Jesus' name, amen.